You're listening to episode 36 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Richard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice, and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? Are you ready for it? <laughs> Today's podcast is about the CARES Act. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, this is like the, the gajillion, bajillion, bajillion, bajillion uh, dollar spending bill that the um, government has put out uh, to help both individuals, large corporations, and small businesses. So hopefully you are one of those things. And if you're not, then you're an alien in outer space. Okay, that was just a joke. Anyways, so <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that today. Um, this will have a leaning for sure towards small business owners. Um, and I want to actually caveat this entire episode with nobody knows what the heck is going on. So um, the information in this podcast, while I am doing my best to be as forthcoming and uh, reasonable and give you the most facts that I can as possible, um, nobody actually knows... <laughs> anything really about, especially the small business related stuff. We'll get into that when we get there, but I just wanted to throw that out there. So definitely listen to this. I hope it gives you a lot of good information. Um, having said that though, it might be wrong and I'm really sorry about that. Anyways. So I don't want to get super political here, but, um, so I'm not going to, um, but yeah, the government is just like literally printing money. Um, and they're not even really being shy about it anymore. Right. I mean, they're just kind of giving handouts really all over the place. And um, at first, so when the when the bill first went through, um, it was going to be like the, for the corporations, right? They were going to give a bunch of money to Mnuchin, who was then going to be able to give it out to the corporations that he wanted to. And um, the Senate pushed back because they were like, oh, that's horrible. Like, how dare Mnuchin give money out to a bunch of corporations that, you know, are in the pocket, in his pocket. And then <laughs> they basically like expanded the Mnuchin slush fund to like the entire Senate slush funds. So now everybody gets to like give money to people who are in their pockets. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I know I said I wasn't going to get political, but I am going to get political. But the good news, I think, is for people who are looking to get that trickle-down effect is that um, if you, let's say, bought an airline ticket at like Delta or United Airlines or any of these companies, that they are now being bailed out and <laughs> that uh, you don't have to worry. Your money is safely tucked away in their uh, bank account for you to do and take a trip in the next year. So hopefully coronavirus goes away in the next year and whatever trip you were supposed to take in March, April, May, or June will now be something that you can take, you know, in September, October, November, or December when this is all over <laughs> since they're not going to go out of business. Um, Anyways, yeah. And uh, I've been hearing a lot on Twitter. This is a while before the uh, bill actually came out of people saying, well, you know, these companies, they did buybacks. How dare they do buybacks? And then they're going to get a bailout like they could have had cash on hand. And I think it's really telling of just society in general and where we stand uh, as a, um, I guess, yeah, as a society. I mean, I have no other way of putting it. Um, like we just can't keep cash around. So I think it's sort of, it's almost a naive assumption that companies could do that in the environment that we live in. We live in an inflationary environment. 
whereby companies, in order to benefit their shareholders, they can't keep cash on their balance sheet. And you know why they can't keep cash on their balance sheet? Because cash doesn't earn them anything. It detracts. It's a huge drag on their performance. So in order to keep the wheel spinning, they have to invest their cash. And if they have nothing to invest their cash in, they do buybacks. That's just what they do. Um, or, you know, they spend a, they issue a dividend uh, if they're, you know, more of a value type company, right? Um, and those are good things for shareholders typically. Um, but in a crisis time, it's not going to be good for a shareholder, right? Because like they don't have cash on hand basically to make ends meet and then they could typically, they could go out of business potentially. So on the one hand, I, I hear you and I hear concerns of like, well, you know, these companies don't have to ma- know how to manage their money. They don't know how to manage their cash flows. They don't know how to keep cash around for hard times. And that's true. They don't. Um, but we're, they're also incentivized not to do that. So before you go like wagging your finger at them and calling them an idiot, like, why don't you look at your own finances? Cause individuals don't really do that either for the same exact reason, because there's inflation, because we have to invest. It's something that we've talked about on several podcasts, actually, about the idea that like our brains aren't really wired for this, but we have to do it because we live in an inflationary environment. It would feel so much better if we could just stuff that cash under our mattress and move on with our lives. I know so many people who want to do that. But we can't do that because then you would literally be losing money. Um, and also, you know, your mattress would probably start getting pretty uncomfortable. But uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just something to think about, right? Like, why why is it so hard to have an emergency fund, right? That, like, you know, I, I hear this from clients where, especially, like, high big spending clients where maybe their emergency fund needs to be about $100,000 because that's six months worth of expenses. And I know for like people in the middle of the country who are listening to this, they think that's absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, some people actually do need to have like 100 grand in cash or even more lying around to, you know, to cover one year's worth of spending or six months worth of spending or whatever. Um, and they come to my office and they say, I have a lot of money to invest. I have $100,000 sitting in my bank account. And I'm we go through their expenses and we're like, you can't invest that. But meanwhile, in their head, they're thinking, well, I've got a huge drag here. I've got a grand that can go and do something. Except that something like coronavirus then comes around, right? And you lose your job and then you can't make, you can't put food on the table because you invested that money. So, I mean, this is something that we, we talked about in episode 34 about coronavirus. So I would say go back to that and listen to it before you listen to this one on the CARES Act. But I just want to throw that stuff out there because, um, yeah, I, I think it was like some tweet that my husband had told me about where like some guy said like, you know, he he can't make ends meet and his landlord can't make ends meet and his landlord can't make ends meet. Like what kind of like broke ass society are we living in? Um, and it's, it's true. Like we literally live in a broke ass society. <laughs> like, I think it's like, and it's, it's made painfully aware by what's going on right now. Um, and even more so by what the government is doing because they're literally printing money and they're not even hiding it anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I, I'm going to leave it at that um, with all the political commentary. And then we're actually going to jump into the bill itself. So why don't we talk about um, what's going on on the personal side of the bill before we talk about what's going on on the business side. And um, the first thing is the recovery rebate is what they're calling it. So um, $1,200 for individuals, $2,400 for joint five, uh, joint filers with a $500 credit for each child that you have. Um the thing to note about this is that there are phase outs. Of course, the IRS loves phase outs. Why wouldn't they give you a phase out on this? All right. So I, I don't know why you thought everybody was going to get that. They're not. Um, <laughs> so phase outs, um, basically the rebate, the rebate is phased out by $5 for every $100 in excess of the threshold amount. So, And the thing to keep in mind is that this amount is based on 2018 
AGI, adjusted gross income, unless you've already filed your 2019 returns. So the, the number one thing to keep in mind is that if you had lower income in 2019 than you had in 2018, you need to file your return like yesterday. You need to be doing this right after this podcast is released. You need to get on the phone with your CPA or go on TurboTax and get that return filed. Um, phase outs begin at $75,000 for single filers. Um, they begin at $112,500 for head of households and at $150,000 for joint filers. And what that means is that anyone who is a single filer with income over 99 grand or head of household over 136,500 or joint filers with over 198 will get nothing. That is the complete phase out. So if you are, let's say above those thresholds in 2018 and below those thresholds in 2019, file ASAP. If you are above those thresholds in 2019 and below those thresholds in 2018, hold off on filing. It actually pays for you to file an extension. Um, and that's what I'm going to say on that. There's some good calculators online if you're if you want to know exactly how much you would get. I would say I think ABC, um, one of the news networks, had one. So I would just Google the calculator for the recovery rebate. We'll also put it in the show notes, um, and that's a good place to start. There's a couple of other things that they added in here for individual people. So they expanded unemployment insurance. So if you've gotten laid off um, because of coronavirus, then good news for you is that you're going to get an extra 600 per week and, and increase in benefits for up to four months. Um, and the federal government is also looking to fund an additional 13 weeks of unemployment benefits through December 31st of this year. And that's after workers have run out of state unemployment benefits. So um, the government is really, they're trying to incentivize um, waiting weeks is what they're calling it as a provision to prevent unemployed workers from getting benefits as soon as they are laid off. Um, so it's just kind of on a state by state basis. Also like the states have to pass it, but um, I would say that like, if you are laid off, chances are you're going to get more than you think you're going to get. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about all the stuff going on on the business side. So if let's say you're not an employee, but you're like a contractor, independent contractor, or you're self-employed, even if you're a sole proprietorship or something else, there are things in this bill that are there for you. So um, I don't want you to feel like, oh, well, I can't file unemployment insurance. So this means nothing for me. That's not true. Keep waiting um, for the rest of this podcast. Um, the other thing is that they suspended RMDs. So something we've talked about in um, the Secure Act podcast um, is so the requirement required minimum distributions or RMDs. Um, basically, they're waived for all accounts. So if you don't want to take out your RMD this year on your um, eligible retirement accounts, then you don't have to do that. That's for everybody. That's for beneficiary IRAs. That's for people who are over the age of 72 um, who need to start taking their RMDs according to the new law. Um, it's also for people who are over the age of 70 and a half and who are already taking RMDs according to the old law. Um, yeah, it's getting really effing complicated up here. <laughs> Um, and then they threw a bunch of other things in there. So student loan relief, um, they're having, they're letting employers contribute up to $5,250 towards an employee's student loans. And that actually will not be taxable to the employee for the first time. So previously prior to this bill, um, yeah, there were basically they, like if, if an employer wanted to help you pay down your student loan debt, it would actually be considered taxable income to you. They are waiving that to help people actually repay their benefits right now. There's a bunch of other educational assistance. Um, I'm not a student loan expert, so I didn't really dig too much into that, but there is a whole thing on that. So if that's your thing, I would Google CARES Act educational assistance and you'll bring up a bunch of stuff. All righty. 
Um, oh, sorry. There was one more thing. So <laughs> this one kind of la- made me laugh. So with the when the um, tax law got passed for 2018, that big bill that came out in 2017, um, there and I don't even know if I was doing this podcast at the time. I don't think I was. I don't think money owners existed yet. Anyways, um, neither here nor there. Um, what it did though was because they increased the standard deduction so much. Um, people actually started stopped giving to charity. So <laughs> turns out when they did a study on this, a lot of people give to charity just because they get a tax deduction. Um, and if they no longer get that tax deduction, they don't really care about giving to charity. Um, that's not true, obviously, with all people, but there was a large sum of people who decided they didn't want to give to charity anymore. So what they did was they created a $300 partial above the line charitable contribution for filers who are taking the standard deduction. That means you have to give that gift in cash. You can't gift stock or any of these other things that we've talked about on the podcast of ways of you know lowering your tax bill and stuff. But um, you get to take that deduction regardless of whether or not you itemize or if you take the standard deduction. So I kind of find it funny because it's like 300 bucks and you know who really cares in the grand scheme of things. I mean, even for like, I mean, I guess for like the, you know, the highest tax bracket you're saving, you know, 150 bucks at the most. Um, but not even, I mean, nobody's really in a 50% tax bracket. So we're really talking about maybe saving like $125 at the most. Um, but you know, it's still, still there for you. And you know, if you're giving to charity anyways, you might as well let your CPA know that you're doing it. That way you can take this above the line charitable contribution deduction. Um, and if you're not, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You you don't want to give to charity. You don't want to give to charity. That's your prerogative. Um, anyways, businesses. There's a lot more stuff in here for businesses, which is really great. So they rolled out a bunch of business loan programs. Um, and this is what I was talking about when I caveated this program of nobody knows what the heck is going on. Literally, nobody knows what the heck is going on. So I'm in like a study group with these two guys who are like, they're the smartest guys on the planet. Um, and I'm just, I feel very lucky actually that they, <laughs> they even let me be in their group. Anyways, so... <laughs> We're like going back and forth about these bills. And like we all have different takes on what is really going to happen and whether or not people are going to get loan forgiveness and what qualifies for loan forgiveness and whether or not somebody can even apply from the pro- for the program and on, 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 right? We're going back and forth. Um, and literally like, um, I mean, we agreed on a lot of stuff, but there are some things that we were just like, huh? I don't know. Anyways. So, I mean, honestly, what I think is that they, they shut this bill out the door. It's incredibly complicated, like every other government bill that comes through. Um, and somehow the small business association actually has to take action on this, which, um, we will see whether or not that happens. Um, but basically they created two different loan programs. One of them is called the paycheck protection program. Um, and one of them is called the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. I'm actually going to start with the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program that's uh, shortened to EIDL. So EIDL is interesting. So it's being issued by the Small Business Association, so SBA themselves. And the thing that's interesting about this is that it's providing emergency grants of up to $10,000 within three days of the borrower filing an application. Um, but the caveat here is that the grant amount would a reduce any loan forgiveness under the other program that we're going to talk about. And B you're kind of at the whim of this, um, of the SBA as to how much you're going to get. So there's no guarantee that you actually get the whole $10,000. Um, if you do get $10,000 from this program, then they're basically letting you, they're totally forgiving it. They're just calling it a grant. You can actually borrow over that, um, over that in the idle program. I don't actually know the max on it. 
Um, I kind of wish I had that off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, I think I saw like even somewhere you could borrow up to $10 million depending on how many employees you had and everything else. So it really, the calculation is kind of dependent on um, your payroll calculations. Um, But the idea here is basically that you apply for this. Um, I think anyone should really apply. So anyone actually can apply. Um, it's not just companies as we typically think of it. So it's not just the typical LLCs, S-Corps, or partnerships. Um, you can actually apply as a as a sole proprietorship or as an independent contractor or 1099 type of employee. You can apply because you're not an employee. You're a 1099. You run your own business. You're an independent contractor. So um, all of those folks can apply. Um, whether or not you're incorporated doesn't really matter at this point. Um, and it's the same thing actually for the payment, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is the other one that we'll talk about. The idea here of what they're trying to do is um, basically, if SBA can provide loans to individuals, they're hoping that they won't lay off a bunch of employees and that the government will then have to provide that unemployment insurance. Um, the other thing being that they want to help people who aren't eligible for unemployment insurance, like the sole props of the world, the 1099 contractors, et cetera. So my thought here is that if you are one of these people who has a small business who is being affected currently by COVID-19, then like there's no reason why you shouldn't apply. I mean, worst case scenario, they don't give you the money, right? They're like, meh, not you, okay? Um, the other thing about the $10,000 is I don't really know how much you're going to get for $10,000. Apparently, they have some sort of calculation as to how they are um, going about doing that. Um, I don't know what it is. I wish I did. <laughs> I wish somebody knew. I mean, I think there, there are more resources out there um, for calculating the other one, the PPP loan is what they're calling it. Um, there really aren't very many resources out there for what you're going to get from the idle loan. So I would say apply and then, you know, hope for the best. And if you get a thousand bucks, great, it's gravy. You don't have to pay it back. Um, in the meantime, though, there's the other Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP program, which we're going to get into. So this is a lending program that also allows for some loan forgiveness. You're not likely to get 100% forgiveness like you are under the IDLE program with that 10K. Um, and also note on the IDLE program, if you borrow more than $10,000, you will have to pay that back. And actually, the terms of borrowing under the IDLE program are, are a little bit worse than borrowing under the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, but that said, let's go back to the PPP. So This also applies to businesses with 500 or fewer employees. Um, And basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that these businesses can make payroll costs. So payroll actually, it includes owners, which is really interesting. If you have, um, basically, I I mean, I've been advising my um, S-Corp clients about this. They pay themselves in payroll um, and that is included. And then they actually expanded it also to include um, to include LLCs as well. So people who, um, who are, they don't get paid as a W2 employee, you get paid in net profits. So LLCs are included. Also partnerships are included. There's some caveats for partnerships, which I'll get into, um, which, uh, also we're sort of not entirely sure about the rules there, but, um, yeah. So what I would say there, there are loan terms here. So there's no collateral required, which is great. There's a maximum interest rate of 4%, um, and a maximum loan term of 10 years. So, um, that's good news. Um, I mean, it, it would obviously be better if you can have, uh, the max 
loan term and the lowest interest rate. <laughs> I imagine that's not how it's going to work out, um, but you never know. And the thing is, is that this is actually being administered by the banks themselves um, through SBA. So like SBA is overseeing the program, but the banks themselves are actually going to do some of the underwriting under the loans. So I think the best thing to do if you want to go through the Paycheck Protection Program is to contact your banker like immediately um, because they're, they're apparently getting a flooding of requests. Um, and also all of these people are basically working from home as well or working in, you know, skeleton crew type offices right now. So um, I think the hope is that because the banks are involved, they're going to be able to get these the money out to people faster, but it's possible that they don't. Um, so the other thing to consider is that the maximum salary. So when you're, when you're applying for this, the paycheck, the PPP, um, basically what they're saying is that they'll cover payroll up to a hundred thousand dollars per employee. So let's say there's you and there's two employees in the company. Um, and let's say you normally make, I don't know, 200 grand a year, but you're each of your employees, you know, they make 50 and 75, let's say. Um, under PPP, the 50 and 75 would be fully covered. Um, and you would take a pay cut basically from 200 to 100K because the 100K is the max. Um, the other thing to consider though is that they are basically covering only 10 weeks worth of payroll. Okay. So they're not saying, okay, we're going to cover your $100,000 salary for the entire year. No, what they're saying is that we'll cover your $100,000 salary. Um, but we'll only cover it for eight for ten weeks. Excuse me. So if we did one hundred grand divided by twelve, we get eight eight thousand three hundred and thirty three dollars. Um, and if we multiply that out for ten weeks, you're looking at a twenty thousand eight hundred and thirty three dollar loan per per employee who's at the max of a hundred thousand. So if the employee is less, obviously. So if we're talking about the fifty thousand dollar employment, we're talking about half that. So ten thousand four hundred, whatever that math is. I'm sorry, I can't do that in my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that that's what we're talking about here. And then they will loan it to you. You will have to pay it back though. So the terms of paying it back, they're a little bit different um, than than the idle program, right? Under the idle program, if you get that 10 grand, they're gonna totally just, you know, they're just gonna forgive it, which is great, but you might not actually get that 10 grand. Under the PPP loan, you get basically you get the two and a half times of the average monthly payroll, meaning you borrow two, 10 weeks of payroll or so. Um, the payroll is capped. And then if you get a loan for 10 weeks worth, you're actually only able to write off, meaning you don't have to pay back eight weeks worth. But then you can actually come up with two more weeks worth of equivalent rent, utilities, healthcare, et cetera, to have that loan be completely forgiven. So whatever your extra overhead is, um, true overhead though, what they're talking about, they're not talking about like, you know, the random crap you want to buy, the extra computer, the other equipment. I mean, I guess like in some regards, there might not be as much oversight over this. So you might be able to do that stuff. But I would say if you're taking this money, like I would err on the conservative side of what you can and can't do. They really, what they're trying to do is get you to continue doing payroll. This is not like for you to, you know, start rolling out the gravy train here. Okay. <laughs> this is to make sure that you could like put food on your table. You're making basic ends meet, you know, and that you don't have to lay off or furlough a bunch of employees. Right. So that's the idea here behind the PPP program. Um, so I would, I mean, it's something to consider for sure. I mean, I, I, I don't, if you are actually affected by what's going on right now with COVID-19, then I would say it makes a hundred percent sense to, to apply for one of these loans. Um, there's kind of no reason for you not to, right? If you're basically, if you're having trouble making ends meet or you've taken a drastic cut in your revenue, then this, this program is for you and you should be taking advantage of it. Um, and there's some caveats here. So for, if you have a partnership, um, 
the loan is going to look a little bit different because there are partners on board. Um, I think it depends on how you're structured and how you're paying your partners as to how much you're going to get. Um, so that you need to consider in a partnership. Um, and then if you have a lot of payroll, you need to have the same number of employees um, on June 30th of this year as you had last year and pay them 75% of last year. So otherwise you're going to take haircuts um, on this loan itself and you're, and you're not, you're actually going to have to pay back um, what they say you're going to have to pay back. So I would keep that in mind when you're doing it, because basically if, if you go to apply for this loan, you already, if, let's say you, um, you didn't know that this government program was coming down the pipe, which a lot of people didn't know. Right. And then you laid off a bunch of employees because you were really freaking worried about being able to keep the lights on in your company. You kind of can't do PPP now because you laid off a bunch of employees. <laughs> and if you have many less employees on June 30th of this year as you versus what you had last year, then um, you might not be able to actually take advantage of this program. So that's something to consider. Um, and, you know, I guess just keep in mind that at least your, your employees that you laid off are going to get more from unemployment insurance than they otherwise would have under other circumstances. Um I feel like I wanted to say something about Elspeth's program. Oh, yeah. I think the other thing to consider, so I, I mean, I've heard that people are sort of just applying for this no matter what. Um, but I mean, the thing to consider is really like, this is there for you if you truly are having an issue due to COVID-19. This isn't like, um, my business is still making the same amount or more than it did last year, and I'm going to apply for this loan. Um, this is actually something that we were arguing about, whether or not they were going to look into this. My reading of it was that, if you had a drastically different revenue than you did last year um, over the same time period that you are eligible for this loan. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that drastic difference in revenue, that you actually wouldn't be eligible to have this be a write-off, quote unquote. You would actually have to pay back these loans. Um, this is up in the air though. So people aren't really sure whether or not that's true. Um, that was my reading of it, but other people's readings of it are different. So I guess you can kind of take it as you see it. I mean, if, if you're kind of fast and loose, um, and you have a high risk tolerance, then I say go for it. Um, but maybe know like that you're gonna have to pay back the loan if you really are not in a, in like a drastic dire situation. Um, that's something to consider. Um, and if that really is the case, then I would be careful about how you use that money because um, if you do have to pay it back, then maybe you don't have the money to pay it back. I don't know. It depends what you do with the money. Um, if your business oh, is doing well and continues to do well, I mean, I guess then it's just a it's, it's just a loan that has um, a deferred interest period, which is kind of nice. So that's something to consider too. Um, let's just quickly go through some of the other things in here for businesses. So there's a payroll tax deferral. Um, I actually had a really good laugh about this because I got a, I use Gusto for my payroll for my employee and I got a little email being like, Hey, we're refunding you $8 and 31 cents for the pay for payroll tax deferral that you, <laughs> that you paid from, you know, last, last month's, um, payroll. And I was like kind of laughing and I've actually forwarded it to my employee and we had a good chuckle. He was like, yeah, don't spend that all in one place, you know? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, basically, they're trying to free up some employer's cash um, and help people retain employees during this time. So if you have a lot of employees or um, you have high salaried employees um, who are, you know, running up against the Social Security Administration's limit um, on payroll taxes, then I would say in some regards, it's great to be able to defer it. On the other hand, I'd be careful with with pay, pay um, with tax deferrals, right? Deferral doesn't mean free. It doesn't mean it's going away. It means you're going to have to pay it later. So, 
Um, just keep that in mind that like, if you don't have the cash now, you are going to have to come up with it later. In some ways it's good um, because you'll be able to retain employees and continue to do, uh, to operate normally if you still can operate normally. In other senses, that's bad because you might get behind on taxes and nobody likes owing the IRS. So I would say some cash flow planning here is definitely the way to go if you can do it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then consult a planner. Call me. I do that all the freaking time. Um, anyways, <laughs> there's um, an employee retention credit as well. So again, they're trying to get people not to lay people off so that we don't cause a gigantic you know, depression recession. So they're giving a credit against employment taxes equal to 50% of the qualified wages paid to employees who are not working due to the employer's full or partial cessation of business. So what the heck does that mean? Okay, so you're in a business and you can't operate normally. I don't know, you're a dentist's office and you don't want people like going in people's mouths right now because you're going to get coronavirus, right? Um, and you don't have like the full protection gear, like hazmat suit that you need to actually do that. Um, and in the meantime, also like you have a bunch of people that work in your office who you had to lay off because you literally closed your office. So what they're saying is that, okay, well, don't lay them off because we'll give you this credit. And maybe it'll help you pay for their qualified wages. And also, if you can defer payroll taxes, then maybe they won't go on unemployment. That's the idea here. So just trying to keep people employed um, as much as possible. There are other things in here, like net operating losses. Um, there's a five-year carryback of net operating losses. So... You actually can amend or modify tax returns dating back to 2013 in order to take advantage of this carryback. Um, I don't really want to go into this, honestly. I mean, I guess for some people this makes sense. Um, right now, only farming net operating losses are allowed to be carried back. Um, so I guess if you have like this actually, I mean, I guess it's good if you, if you're running some losses in rental properties or something like that, maybe this will give you a little loophole here. Um, I would say consult an accountant when you're thinking about, you know, modifying or amending your returns going back to 2013 and obviously be conservative on how you do it. I wouldn't like, you know, throw a bunch of junk in there and then risk being audited and then they take all of your money away. That's a bad idea. So, you know, just be fair. Um, yeah. And I think that's all I really, I mean, there was a, there, honestly, there's a lot of stuff in this bill. I mean, that's kind of all I really wanted to go through on this podcast. Um, I'm sure there's more, I'm sure I'm missing some, I'm sure I'm going to get angry letters and emails from all of the planners who listen to us. who are like, ugh, what are you talking about? It's wrong. Or you didn't, you didn't add all the stuff about student loans or you, there were more things for businesses, uh, blah, 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 blah. I hear you. Okay. It was a long freaking bill. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I imagine we probably will continue discussing this one just because it keeps going on and on. And it sounds like also they're rolling out a gigantic infrastructure spending bill for all of the states too, which is going to happen. So like, we're just going to keep printing money hand over foot. So in the meantime, I've been getting a lot of questions about inflation and everything else and what to do with bond portfolios. And I don't really know the answer. Um, and I definitely don't know the answer without looking at your specific financial situation. If you do have questions about that kind of stuff, now is a great time to talk to a planner. It's never been a better time to talk to a planner. It's extremely complicated out there. Interest rates are zero. Um, and there's like all this stuff floating around in the air. I mean, I honestly, I think like it's a great time to talk to a planner. I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, run an advertisement here, but um, at the same time, I'm like, I'm talking to all my colleagues about everything going on because like, we're trying to make heads or tails of all this stuff. So I can't even imagine if I didn't work in the industry, what I would be doing right now. So I would just keep all that stuff in mind when you're thinking about what you're doing. 
Um, and the real thing is like, the thing about the about the bonds and the dollar and all that stuff is like it only becomes an issue. And we've said this before, but I'll say it again. It only becomes an issue if people don't want to hold dollars. And I don't know when that day is going to come. I imagine that day will come. I don't know if that day will be in my lifetime. I don't know if that day will be in my child's lifetime. I don't know if that day will be in my grandchild's lifetime. I literally don't know how long this can, this song and dance can go on. I imagine that the more we do things like how we're doing them, the faster we will get to a place where people don't want to hold dollars. But that said, like the rest of the world is doing it too. So what do they want to hold instead? Um, and that's, a, I guess, a question that you you can answer for yourself um, or you can DM me and give me all sorts of ideas about what you think, which <laughs> I'm sure if you're reading between the lines and you know me in general, you probably know what I'm thinking. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, if you have questions, um, please send them over. You can find me on Twitter at Morgan with an E. Rochard or at money underscore owners. You can also find me on my website, moneyowners.com forward slash ask Morgan. You can also go to money owners and schedule a completely complimentary session with moi. Uh, <laughs> you can even ask me all the questions you have about the CARES Act and how it applies to you because it's your session. You do you. Um, but really what you should be doing in that session is still thinking about your hopes, dreams, goals, and aspirations and how you can use your time, your money, your talent, your energy your professionalism, and everything else that makes you you to live the best freaking life that you can possibly live in spite of all this crap that's going on right now, right? I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, so what? So you're in your home and you can only go to the grocery store once a week and you're wearing a mask all the time and like you can't see your family, right? Like I can't do that either. But does that mean I'm wallowing in a hole in my room? No, I'm like getting stuff done, right? Like I'm talking to clients and I am hanging out with my son and we're going to look at construction sites all the time because they have one across the street from us. So my son like points at every single tractor out there and bulldozer and heavy roller and he's super excited about the smokestacks, right? Like live your life. Like what are you going to do about it, right? We're in a crappy situation. We're all in this freaking same crappy situation. Like what are you going to do about it? What can you do today to make your life better, right? Like, and yeah, all this government program, stupid shit aside, like, what can you do right now to get you to the place that you want to be? I swear, I'm sure you can think of a list of 20 things, but you only need to do one of them, maybe, and like, things will seem better, right? You only need to change maybe one little thing in your life. And I think that's really the thing that I've been noticing about this the most is like, when I am like, I'm tired and I want to put things off, if I am just willing to make a little bit of an effort to just do one, that one thing on my list of 20 things that I don't really want to do. And I do one of them, like I get the ball rolling and I get all 20 knocked out. And then I feel really good about myself. Right. And I move on with my life. Um, and I'm saying this because like, I hear a lot from people what's going on right now. And there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of hardship out there right now. And there's a lot of pain and suffering things that we've talked about on this podcast and it's going to continue. And it looks like it's going to continue for probably another two months, right? Like, I mean, everything I'm reading says that we're going to have basically the worst April ever. There's going to be a lot of deaths. We're probably going to know somebody who dies from this. Um, and it's going to be really hard and there's going to be a lot of suffering and you're going to be in pain. And I, I hear you. I'm in it too. I'm feeling it too. Um, and it's really difficult. And I'm really sorry that you're going through what you're going through. But I also know that you can be the best possible person that you can be in any situation. And it's what you do in those little moments that makes you who you are, that that shows basically you shining in the world. So take that opportunity. I know that it seems like a tragedy right now, and it is. But it's also an opportunity for you to be the best possible person and self 
and everything else and, you know, be the best person financially that you can be even, right? Like we can even throw that into the mix. Like now's a great time to be setting up your budget. I just did that with one of my clients this morning. Like we're budgeting through coronavirus, right? Like why not? Why aren't you doing those things? Why are you hamstringing yourself? Why don't you like, why not look back on this time in July when all of this is over? And why not say to yourself, wow, I survived that. Look how well I did. Look how, look how I thrived during pain and suffering, even though it was so hard and it hurt me so goddamn much, right? Don't you want to be that person instead of the person who looks back on the last three months and just thinks to yourself, like, what the heck did I even do? I spent like three months watching six million shows on Netflix. And um, now I know everything about Tiger King, right? Do you want to be that person? Or do you want to be the person that like got after it and feels really good about everything that they got done? I don't know. Like, you tell me. But I know who I want to be. And I know who my clients want to be. Um, and that's what makes them great, right? That's what's really pushing the needle forward is like who they are in times of suffering and pain and who they are able to be um, and how they're able to understand themselves. So I'm going to leave you with that note. Um, we'll have another episode out in two weeks. I'm really kind of hoping it's not going to be like political. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm getting tired of it. Um, and, <laughs> and one of my colleagues was telling me that my favorite word is butthole now. So um, I just thought I'd throw that in there because apparently I've been saying that a lot on this podcast. And that's mostly because I've been trying to stop cursing in front of my son. Um, but yeah, I really hope that these buttholes in Congress <laughs> don't put out any more bills so that I can get back to doing like the money owner shows that I want to do instead of the money owner shows that they are forcing me to do. All right. So I'm going to leave it at that. Leave a nice review. Um, if you like the show, you know, if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. Stop listening. Um, tell a friend, um, find me on Twitter and I'll talk to y'all in two weeks. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.